Well, I'm not Pat Nimmers. He is gone today. I'm Brad. I'm the student ministries pastor here at the church. Our pastor is speaking this morning in California, and he'll be back with us next week to wrap up this series of Unshakable Faith, a study in theology. As we get back into the following week, we'll continue where we left off in the book of Romans. So this morning, would you go with me to the book of Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6. We're going to start in verses 10 through 12. This weekend, I was with my daughter, and we were uh, eating chips in the kitchen while everyone else was sleeping. And she dropped one on the floor. And she went down to pick it up. I said, no, 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 you don't want to do that. And she's like, why not? I said, because uh, there might be something on that chip, and then you're going to put it in your mouth. She looks at it and goes, there's nothing on it, and puts it in her mouth. I said, no, no, there's more than what you, can't, more than what you can see going on here, Ava. There's this thing called little germs that you don't, and can't actually see them when they go into your mouth because our feet have been on this floor and all kinds of nasty stuff. You don't see what's going on, but you might be able to feel those effects later on. It's the same thing when she comes inside and she has no dirt on her hands. She's like, I said, wash your hands. She says, I don't need to. I don't have any dirt on them. Well, it's what you don't see is what you need to wash off. And this morning, we're talking about an unseen war. An unseen war, a war that we do not see. A war that was happening in eternity past, continued this morning while you were getting ready with your family, and is continuing right now. The scriptures tell us that there is a different realm, the heavenly places, a realm that we do not see. And what happens in the heavenly realms affects the realm that we do see, that we live in right now. So what are you talking about, Morpheus? Let's look at the scriptures here in verses 10 through 12. Here we go. Finally, be strong in the Lord and the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over the present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. This is the word of the Lord. And it tells us about this warfare that is going on between our enemy, Satan, that is happening between God and Satan. And because he is God's enemy, he is our enemy. And if we do not understand how our enemy works and how God has equipped us to defend ourselves against his attacks, we will not be effective in this life right now. And so that's what we hope to do today as we talk about this battle that is not against flesh and blood. That is the battle that is not against the atheist, a battle that is not against the liberals in your office, those who were called to love. They are not the enemy. The public school is not the enemy. Even ISIS, the Islamic State, is not our true enemy. But the evil spirits, the satanic realm, and demons that are around us, even now in this very room, that are attacking us, that are distracting you, and keeping you, wanting to keep you from hearing God's word. And so we need to know, how did Satan actually come to be? How did he get here, and uh, why is he here? Colossians 1, verse 16, tells us this, as the origins of Satan, where he has come from. 
It says, for by him all things were created in heaven and on earth. That is, Jesus created all things in heaven and on earth, visible what we see and invisible what we do not, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. So we see that Satan himself was created by Jesus. And spiritual warfare is not dualism. It's not a, God, a good God versus a bad God, and in the end, we'll see how everything works out. Now, make no mistake, our enemy is very, very powerful, preventing Paul from going to visit the church in Thessalonica, deceiving the nations, blinding the hearts of unbelievers. As Luther says, his craft and power are truly great, but he's not greater than God. As we've looked in this study before, we saw God being the omni-God. Omni meaning all, all present, all knowing, all powerful. Those things are not true of our enemy. He is not all present. He's not all powerful, although he is powerful and he is not all knowing. So spiritual warfare then is not a good God versus a bad God, but it's a rebellion of created beings against the one true God who has already won the war through his death and resurrection. So why was he created? He was created for the same reason that you and I were created, the same reason that the angels were created, and that was to worship Jesus. He was created for Jesus, by Jesus, and for Jesus. Satan himself was a cherub created to worship and to serve God. And as he watched God create the world, instead of thinking, wow, Jesus is awesome, he thought, I want to have everything that everyone else is saying about Jesus. How awesome he is, all that glory. I want people to say those same things about me. And so we see this in Isaiah 14, speaking of our adversary, Satan says this, how you are fallen from heaven, O day star, son of dawn. How you are cut down to the ground, you who laid the nations low. You said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven above the stars of God. I will set my throne on high. I will sit on the mount of the assembly in the far reaches of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will make myself like the most high. You notice this, that Satan is looking for the same glory that's given to Jesus. He wants that for himself. And so a rebellion breaks out into heaven. Satan is cast out of heaven with a third of the angels. You can read that in Revelation 12. And a battle starts and continues now as Satan grasps and tries to reach out and to rob glory that rightfully belongs to God. And he can't deprive God of his glory in heaven, but so he comes and he comes and he comes to earth to try to take the glory rightfully ascribed to God from the peoples of earth, knowing that his time is very short. Perhaps you've been around the world and you've seen some of the nations that bow and worship idols. You've seen the demonic things that are all wrapped up in that. Maybe you've even seen videos we had an opportunity this past summer just to go up to Minneapolis with uh, several of our high school students. We went to a Hindu temple. 
This is, this is right where we live, the, the world's, the United States' largest Hindu temple. And as we went in there and observed and got to share the gospel afterwards with the people participating, we saw people bowing down and worshiping these deities made of stone, carved by human hands. As the priest led them in worship and as the children offered incense to these idols and offered food to them, as they bathed these idols in milk and worshipped them, these many several deities, I looked around and I was angry. As I saw Satan, I saw that he was depriving God. This glory was supposed to be meant for Jesus. And Satan is using it to worship things that are created by humans. And then that anger turned to grief as we got to interact with these people that were worshiping and, and share the good news of Christ with them. So you and I, I don't always have that same anger each day because it's not so blatant right in front of me. In fact, most of the time in our lives, the devil works in more subtle ways. We don't daily see food offered to idols, but there's still a, a battle that is going on. And I think we can make one of two errors. And the first one is to say that Satan is not responsible for anything. Or, that he is, that, or to say that Satan is responsible for everything. We'll start there. You know, you trip on a crack and you blame it on Satan for tripping you. Right? You think he's responsible for everything that's going on in your life. James tells us, James tells us that sin, we're vile enough in ourselves that we can be led astray by our own sinful desires. We don't even need the devil to tempt us. And so I believe it's a big error to say that everything can, in our lives can be blamed on the devil. But secondly, is to say that he's not responsible for anything. Or to take him very lightly, which I believe we do most of the time in our culture. As C.S. Lewis says, the greatest deception of the devil is to get you to believe that he does not exist. Well, Ephesians 6 tells us the theology of the war taking place around us. While Daniel chapter 10 gives us a great example of what is happening behind the scenes. Let me read this for you. And behold, this is Daniel speaking here, I had a hand touch me and set me trembling on my hands and knees. And he said to me, O Daniel, man greatly loved, understand the words that I speak and stand upright, for I have been sent to you. And when he had spoken this word, I stood up trembling. Then he said to me, Fear not, Daniel, for from the first day that you set your heart to understand and humbled yourself before God, your words have been heard. I have come because of your words. This angel was sent in response to his prayer. But the prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me 21 days. But Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me, for I was left there with the king of Persia and came to make you understand what's happened to your people in the latter days for the vision in the days yet to come. So Daniel is stressed. He's an old man at this time as the nation moves back to Israel from Babylon, and he is praying to God, and he's fasting and taking everything away from his life for 21 days, and he hears no answer. Finally, he sees this guy, he shows up, and he's more wonderful than anything that you and I have ever seen. This awesome, fantastic guy, and he's, he can't move. He's scared out of his mind. He's like, what is going on here? And yet, as this angelic being, as wonderful and how awesome he is, 
he was detained for 21 days by the prince of Persia. I'm not even sure what that means. But I do know that he was some kind of high-ranking demon, perhaps over uh, an entire nation that kept him, that fought against him to keep him from coming to answer the prayers of Daniel. He's actually got to call backup from Michael to come and release him so that he can get to Daniel. There is so much more happening behind the scenes in Daniel than he ever realized. And there's so much more happening behind the scenes of our lives that we could ever imagine. Well, let's just give you a couple of ways that Satan works, a couple of his tactics, the way that he deceives us as believers. The first one is this. He attacks your identity. He attacks your identity. Speaking this chapter, this verse from Jesus being tempted in the wilderness by Satan himself. It says, the tempter came and said to him, if you are the son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. And he says, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down. So he's tempting Jesus. And you notice he's going after his identity. He's getting him to question who he really is or, or trying to anyway. And he says, if you are the son of God, Jesus, you'll do these things. You'll turn these bread into stone. That is, if you really are the Christ. Well, Jesus knew who he was. In fact, just before this, the heavens opened up in his baptism and God himself said, this is my beloved son of whom I am well pleased. Jesus had no mistake of what his identity was, but Satan was attacking it. He wanted him to forget who God said that he was. And in the same way, when Satan, the demons, attack us, they go straight for our identity. They try to forget the acceptance that wants you to forget the acceptance that God has declared over you. Wants you to think that, oh, maybe I don't measure up. Maybe this is right. Maybe I can't handle this. Maybe I can't do this. Like, that's right. That's right. You can't. That's right. And instead of, they want you to forget that who you are in Christ, going right after who God says who you are, forgetting and helping you to give in to sin. Number two, he misrepresents God. Misrepresents God. Genesis 3, 1 through 5, as you look at the, the fall of man, says this, Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, and it's kind of weird, it kind of talks like he's her friend, all right? And I think that's one of his things. I have what's best in mind for you. He says, did God actually say, you shall not eat of the tree of the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the tree in any garden. But God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Their eyes were definitely opened, weren't they? And they understood that they had sinned. But as Satan talks to her, he says, Listen, God, he's giving you all these rules. He's making you, you know, he's hiding this from you. He's keeping you from really experiencing life. You're not really going to die. Go ahead and go through with this. And he he misrepresents the things that God says and gets Eve to question God's moral code. Yeah, maybe, 
Maybe God really is trying to keep us from really knowing things. Maybe God is trying to keep uh, the true reason of life for himself. And he, he, Satan attacks us to start thinking these things. Man, I've worked hard for this job and I've been looked over. And he says, man, you deserve to slack off a little bit. They don't appreciate you. You deserve to maybe do some, some shady things here at work because, I mean, after all, you've been a really good employee. You've earned this. You've been pure your whole life, and God hasn't provided you with a spouse. It's okay if you slip up in one area. God, he, you know, this marriage, he wants you to have, he doesn't want you to enjoy life. He doesn't want you to have fun. And you begin to question this moral code, and then Satan leaves us, because he can't make us sin, but he can set us up uh, to be able to follow through in those sinful desires that he can implant in our lives. And number three, and these are just a few. Satan works in various areas. These are just ones that stuck out to me. Number three is he attacks the unity of the church. Why is it in the high priestly prayer that Jesus in John 17 devotes so much time to the unity of the church? Well, Satan cannot work well through unity. He has to have disunity. That's where he thrives. That's where he goes really well. You know, just things in in people who are supposed to be on the same team, churches and organizations that doctrinally say, we're in this, we're on it, but a few preferences, a few way of doing things, we can't do anything together. And in fact, we completely separate from each other. Maybe you have some things in mind when you think about that. People that will separate that are on the same team with Jesus, but a minor thing here and there said, nope, we can't do anything together. Satan loves that. It's demonic. And even among the body, if he can get you to hold a grudge, if he can get you to be upset with someone and have unresolved anger, he's got you right where he wants you. Spurgeon says this, Satan attaches far more importance to godly relationships than we do. Since unity is strength, He promotes separation. Satan works so well through our disunity. even tells us in Ephesians 4, 26 and 27. It says, be angry, do not sin. Don't let the sun go down in your anger. Don't hold a grudge. Don't hold your things in because when you do that, you give an opportunity for who? The devil. He thrives on this. He loves it. He loves that we keep grudges and he keeps us from being effective as a church because we are disunified. So that's a little bit about where he has come, what some of the 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 tactics that he uses. Let's look, continue on the book of Ephesians and we'll see exactly um, what our defense is and even what our offense is as we think about battling this war that we're raging. And MacArthur says, this is God's battle. We can't fight it on our own terms. We can't fight it in our own armor. We must put on his armor. And as Paul sits and he's writing Ephesians chapter 6, chained to a a Roman guard, perhaps as he's painting this, he's looking over and, and viewing this guard's armor and thinking about, you know, this relates so much to how we, def- we fight spiritual warfare in the Christian life. Let's look at verse 14. Our first weapon of defense, is to, it says this, Stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth. So our first weapon of defense is the belt of truth. 
Roman soldiers, when they would go into battle, every day they would wear a long tunic. All right, but in battle, especially close hand-to-hand combat, they would have to have a really big belt that would keep their tunic close to their body. If not, it could be grabbed and it could be used against them. And so he says, put on your belt, those things that can easily come as distractions in your life. But he says, put on the belt of truth. Why do we need the belt of truth? Because you're working with Satan, who's a liar. You need to have surrounding your body the truth of God. Tony Evans says, truth is what God says about any subject matter. Therefore, it transcends how you feel. It's so often Satan will go after our feelings. And instead of working out of the truth of God's word, he says, yeah, but you feel this way, don't you? You feel really upset, really angry, and that's what you need to work off of. Go with that. Go with that emotion. Let that guide you. Let that guide you by your feelings. But when we are guided by our feelings and not truth, we're inviting the devil to have control of the arena of the battle. We need to have the belt of truth around our waist, looking and judging everything by God and what he says about our situation rather than how we feel about the situation. Let's continue and look at the rest of verse 14 there. Stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness. If you're familiar with armor, you know what the breastplate is, that heavy piece of leather or perhaps a metal plate that covers over your vital organs. The the breastplate of righteousness, not talking about that imputed righteousness that you receive when you come to know Christ. You can't ever take that off. It's already been put on permanently if you're in Christ. But this is talking about righteousness that is a standard of living that pleases God. If the devil gets you in an unrighteous state, that's where he starts to take control of your battlefield, whether you want him to or not. Early on in uh, our marriage, my wife and I, uh, we were living in a really small apartment and we were going away for about five days. And uh, we had had a really nice chicken dinner before we left. And we were packing up, we were leaving the next morning, and I put the leftover of that chicken, because we weren't going to be back to eat it, I put it in the trash. And when we came back five days later, whoo, that was some nasty poultry right there, okay? It was gross. Open up, I was like, what is that stench? And you open up the trash, and there's flies, there's bugs, and I think if we had left a little longer, there would have been mice crawling on it. Okay, now, did we invite those critters into our home intentionally? No. The trash did even though we did not invite them. And so when the devil gets you into an unrighteous state, a state of heaps of trash in your life, you're giving him an opportunity to come in and work, even though you might not have invited him to do so. And that's right where he wants you to be. So draw near to God. Let him get rid of the trash in your life and not give the devil an opportunity. Stop inviting him in by the decisions. Start following and being led by the Spirit. Verse 15, and as shoes for your feet, having put on readiness by the gospel of peace. Our second thing is, our third thing is shoes of peace. 
Shoes are important, aren't they? Just the other day, I went outside in my backyard and I walked across the deck barefoot. Got a splinter in my foot. Walked out into the yard to pick up a few toys and stepped on a thorn in the other foot. Went upstairs and sat on the counter and pulled them out as I squealed like a girl with tweezers. This could have been totally avoided if I just would have put shoes on before I went outside. Right? Oftentimes, you know, a soldier would never go into battle barefoot. Their shoes were very important to them. In fact, several of them had spikes on the bottom of them so they could get traction in the ground so they could push their comrades forward into the battle so that they would not be pushed back. They were walking over rocks as they walked through rivers and streams. They needed their shoes. Oftentimes, if we apply this to our own lives, it's much easier just to run out the door without applying the gospel to our own hearts and remembering that through Christ, we have peace with God taking time to remind ourselves of who we are in Christ. Although it's not always convenient to sit and to meditate or to go about your day thinking about God and what he has accomplished, but as we think about him, he tells us about the peace that we have in him, knowing that he's the one that's fighting this battle. He's the one that if we remember him, that he's in control, we're not going to get these things stuck in our feet, these unnecessary things that cause us pain if we meditate that God himself has brought us peace through the blood of his cross. We can be confident in knowing that we have peace with God and that he loves us as we wage this war of the unseen. Verse 16. The shield of faith in all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. Fourthly, the shield of faith. They would dip that arrow, the archer, into the fire and would shoot it out. And this arrow, when it hits you, could penetrate your armor so much, quick, so much more quickly if it was on fire with hot wax. So much more effective. And you could stand there with that shield and just bounce off of it. Ting, ting, ting. Protecting you from your heart of the Satan with his attacks on you. But you know what? Often, those fiery darts weren't shot at the people themselves. But they were shot at what was most dear to them, their possessions that they absolutely needed. So that arrow was maybe shot at a weapon that they used to catch it on fire. It was shot at a a bale of hay that was nearby to, to catch things on fire around them, to get the soldiers distracted, to keep them away from the battle that was at hand. Providing, just shooting these arrows and getting you distracted by other things, taking your mind off the battle that God has put you in. You see, oftentimes the devil, he's crafty, man. He will even take good things to distract you from what's most important. I love getting gifts. In fact, it's my love language, okay? I think one of the best gifts is the gift that you order for yourself online. And so Father's Day was coming up, and I kind of was talking with my wife, and I was like, hey, I kind of know what I want for Father's Day. You just want me to order it? She's like, yeah, that's really fun, right? (laughs) I said, well, there's this new razor company called Harry's, and I've seen it online, and I've seen it on Instagram and like these promotions for, okay, like basically dad uses Gillette. If you're a young guy, you use this cool razor, Harry's. 
And like they have all these photos, not, not really of their razors, but of just really cool guys you, uh, sitting around. <laughs> it's like, okay, sure, German engineering, your razors, but these guys are cool that use these things. And so I ordered a starter kit of Harry's razors. And, and you know what? They have this new little thing now where you can track your package. Maybe it's not new. It's been around for a couple of years. I just discovered it, though. Every 30 minutes, I was tracking where that package was. I would text my wife. They just checked in in, in Newark, New Jersey. Great. They just checked in in Chicago. Awesome. They're in Des Moines. Oh, they just dropped them off at our house, and you run outside, and there they are. It's like, oh. You open them up, and because of all the anticipation and excitement, it's the best shave I'd ever had. Here's the deal. I was distracted. Took me away from the things that were really important. Was it demonic? I don't know. Could have been. But the point is, Satan will shoot these fiery darts, things that are really good. Sports, work, video games, your phone, your finances, all these things that, that are, are, aren't evil things. And Satan will use those a distraction to, help, to let you forget you're not, you're not really in a war There's not much going on here. Just keep doing what you're doing. Live your life, and I'll take care of everything else that's going on. Don't be distracted. Stay stay alert. Stand firm, as Paul says. Don't move. You are in a battle. Lastly, verse 16 or verse 17, and take up the helmet of salvation. That is why it comes back to our identity. The mind, it starts in the mind and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. How did Jesus respond when he was tempted? With the Word. Every time. Do that. And Jesus is like, hey, Satan, have you read this verse? Let me tell you what this verse says. This is the offensive weapon that God has equipped us with, his Word. It's not talking about the long sword, but this word is a a small dagger for close hand-to-hand combat and spiritual warfare. You need to have a Bible study with the devil. When he's tempted, you need to be able to tell him. You need to be able to tell him, have you read this verse? Have you heard what this verse says, devil? But you've got to be able to know those verses in order to use them in your battle. A soldier would be an idiot to go into war without his weapon, would he not? True of us, it would be ridiculous for us to think that we'll be effective in battle without our weapon, without our sword to fight with. You know, say, I got these registered weapons right here. It's like, those aren't enough. You need a sword. You need God's word. And in fact, to neglect God's word is a sign that you have forgotten. You have lost sense of the battle that you are in. You've got to be in God's word because that is how you fight back. So how do we... Let me just say, you can't 
you got to have the word in the Christian life. I don't know if I can stress that enough. To think that I, I can do it among other things. I can, I can listen to different things. I can listen to Christian music. And I don't need God's word. You must have it. It doesn't say that you've been given uh, music. You've been given all kinds of different things. It says you've been given the sword of the Lord, which is the word of God. Get in it. So how do we put on this armor daily? Well, all this armor is a representation of Jesus himself. Jesus is the truth. He is peace. He is the object of our faith. He is salvation. He is the living word, and his words are sharper than any two-edged sword. So how do we put on the armor? By putting on Christ. We put on Christ as we draw near to him, and he draws near to us as he resists the devil, and he flees from us. So putting on the armor is a day-by-day walking with the Holy Spirit and putting on Jesus, focusing in on him, and that, helps you to, that makes you to put on the armor because that's the armor that you've been provided with is Christ himself. I have just a couple of questions for you believers out there to, to dwell on this morning and to think about. First one is this. Have you forgot you're in a battle? Do you think about it regularly? Does it come up just when you hear a, a message on it or something in a song every once in a while? You need to always be aware of the battle, the unseen battle that's going on around us. If not, you won't be effective. Are you losing the battle in your life because of disunity? Is there someone that you have a grudge against? You're giving the devil a foothold, an opportunity to take you down, to distract you because of this grudge you're holding? You need to take care of that today, if so. Are you letting truth dictate your life or your own feelings? Are you going off your own feelings or are you letting the word of God, as you look through his lens, you know what he says, you're letting that dictate your decisions in your life and your actions? Are you inviting the devil into your life because of trash in your life? Does he have you in an unrighteous state? Are there some things you need to repent of so Jesus can come in and clean it up? And are you being distracted by good things? Are good things, the, the cares of this world, distracting you from being effective in the battle that you're in? And lastly, have you left your weapon at home? Are you in the word? Are you drawing near to God, letting him speak to you and talking back to him through prayer. We are in a battle that has already been won. Genesis chapter 3, right after the fall of man, God comes and he has a word for the serpent. He says, the woman is going to give birth and her seed is going to come and crush your head. You will bruise his heel, but he will crush you. He will destroy you. And as you look at the scriptures, this champion, this serpent crusher that's going to come and defeat Satan forever, that champion is Jesus who we see revealed throughout the scriptures. And yes, he was bruised. He was crushed for our iniquities. Our sins were laid upon him. He bore the wrath of God. 
on himself for our sins and for my sins and the sins of the entire humanity. He was crushed for our iniquities, but he was not defeated because he was bruised, but he came back to life, rising from the dead, defeating sin and death forever, promising those that are in Christ would one day also raise from the dead just like him. Satan was given a blow that day, a mortal blow. His time is very short. And he wants to try to take others down with him, robbing God of glory. But you can't rob God of his glory. What's God say? I am God. I will not share my glory with any other. He can't rob God of his glory. One day, Satan will be defeated forever. Maybe you're here this morning and you're kind of new. In fact, a lot of these things are kind of weirding you out a little bit, maybe. The Bible says that Satan blinds the minds of unbelievers. That is, he keeps you from hearing the gospel and receiving it. But Jesus, through the Holy Spirit, is much more powerful. He can remove those blinders from your eyes. And perhaps you're here this morning. And you don't know Jesus. And you're hearing that little voice in your mind saying, you don't need this. This isn't for you. You got a good life. You got a good thing going here. You don't really need that. This guy's pretty young. He doesn't know what he's talking about anyway. You've got a lot more experience than he does. And Jesus, who is greater and is stronger, is saying, this is exactly what you need. I love you with an everlasting love. I am more powerful than anything else. I've created all things and I've come into that creation to save you, to bring you back and to forgive you, to bring you peace. And it's all done just by believing. Believing that Jesus took my place. Believing that I can't do it on my own. I need Jesus to do it for me. Just by placing your faith in him and having your sins forgiven and been implied the perfect life of Christ. Believer, you have given into the devil. And you probably continue, will continue to do so in your life, the spiritual forces that are around you. Why? Because you're not Jesus. Right? Jesus, when he was tempted by the devil, perfect. Never once sinned, although tempted the exact same way that we, the same way that we are. But here's what's wonderful about it. If you are in Christ God the Father doesn't see you and all the times you failed when you were tempted. He sees Jesus' perfect record rather than yours. He sees you. He doesn't see you in the wilderness. He sees Jesus. He says, even though right now your life, you, you have sinned, you've given in. If you are in Christ, I don't see your sin. I see you as always being obedient. I see you as never, ever giving in because Jesus is in your place. You're not standing before me clothed in your own righteousness, which can never save you, but clothed in the righteousness of Christ. Let that motivate us to continue to, wait, to raise war, knowing that it's already been won. I heard a great illustration about this war that's already been won. Any of you ever DVR'd a, a game on TV and then your friend came and told you what the score was before you got to watch it? I have. 
But you go in there and you set it, maybe it's your TV show, well, ladies, maybe it was Downton Abbey or something like that, okay, you know, and they told you what happened. But you go and you still watch it, right? And when you know that your team has won, when the bad things happen on the field, they still shake you up a little bit, don't they? You still don't like to see the fumble. You don't like to see the interception, but it doesn't devastate you because you know that your team wins in the end. Same is true of Jesus. When the trials come, when the temptations come, they aren't fun. They're not enjoyable. But it doesn't devastate us because we know that we have a God who created everything and he's victorious. He's the champion. He's the one that wins. Martin Luther, I believe, understood this battle well as he penned some of these words uh, from, from a mighty fortress. I think we have them. Do we at the end there? Maybe we don't. Oh, there, yeah, there it is, yeah. Okay, it just looked like the last points I did. They're right there. (laughs) He says this, And though this world with devils filled should threaten to undo us, we will not fear, for God hath willed his truth to triumph through us. The prince of darkness grim, we tremble not for him. His rage we can endure, for lo, his doom is sure. One little word shall fell him. That word above all earthly powers, no thanks to them abideth. The spirits and the gifts are ours. The spirit and the gifts are ours through him who with us sideth. Let goods and kindred grow, this mortal life also. The body they may kill. His truth abideth still His kingdom is forever. His kingdom being Jesus' kingdom, not the domain of darkness that you've been rescued from, the kingdom of Satan, but the kingdom of Jesus that you've been transferred to into the one that that God loves and he loves you. The battle has already been won. Go for it. Go to battle. Let's pray. God, we acknowledge you're superior. You're the ruler. God, I pray for the person that doesn't know you today. Doesn't have a saving knowledge of Jesus. Would you reveal that to them today, that it's by faith, that we've all been bad, we've all done wrong, we're all evil, and you're the only one that's good. And that good God came to save. Would you, if that's you in this room, you can... Be forgiven of your sins right now. The place in repenting, turning from your sins and turning to Christ and joining the winning team of the battle. You can do that right now. God, I I pray for those that are here too that have lost sight of the battle they're in. Maybe some of these things that have been mentioned, uh, that's them. They're, They're distracted even by good things. They forget about everything that's going on around them. Jesus, would you reveal to us however you'd want us to apply your word today? And in Jesus' name we pray, amen.